Welcome back to the AP World History Podcast. We're going to be diving into our third session here of the Industrial Revolution. And primarily, we're going to be looking at how the Industrial Revolution looked like in the United States. Um, the United States is the really only good example of the Industrial Revolution uh, being fully met or fully embraced uh, by a region outside of Europe. And uh, when we're talking about this, really actually in the United States, we're really talking about New England, uh, where it gets adopted first. Uh, we don't see it picked up in other areas because they're more heavily based off of agriculture. We'll see some areas um, adopt it outside of the, well, that, that are, um, that have a lot of agriculture around them, things like the major urban centers of like what will become Chicago or, or Detroit and um, in California, you'll see them come up. Uh, but uh, if we're talking about the South, the industrialization really doesn't happen there because they're based around plantation systems and they have the slave, they have slavery and all that stuff going on. So they're more focused on getting those raw materials that will then be used for industrial or, or for those factories and manufacturing. Now, why do we see it take place in, in the U.S. and especially in New England? Well, that's because one of the connections with Britain, especially in New England, uh, they've got a strong connection with, with uh, England. And then uh, there's incentives from those governments there to have uh, tax breaks for those businesses. Um, they, it's easy to create corporations there, and they don't really heavily regulate what's going on. And just you have higher populations in the north and cities and stuff like that. And uh, with this industrialization came some new uh, pi pioneering techniques. Um, one of the big ones being interchangeable parts so that if one thing broke down, you could easily fix it and, and, and add that to it. As well as we'll eventually see the assembly line coming in. Um, rudimentary versions of it had been coming in throughout the revolution. But uh, really we see the adoption of the assembly line after... Uh, or with Henry Ford and his uh, Model T, um, which then we see the assembly line being used, uh, adopted from his initial version of it to everywhere else. Um, and uh, we also see scientific versions of management, so figuring out ways to make sure that your workers are being as productive as possible and uh, not wasting company time. And with this, we're going to see a major gap developed socially in the United States um, through classes. Uh, the workers, the lowest class, the, that working class that we saw in Britain is going to be a huge class here in the United States, uh, and they're going to have a very tough life. Again, it's going to look similar to what we saw in Britain uh, with crowded tenements. Uh, their work days are ridiculously long. We're talking about an average of a 12-hour workday or so. Um, they don't get any really holidays with that. They might get a Sunday off, and... Um, the wealthy are going to be living in large mansions. They're going to be relaxing. They're going to have uh, yachts and stuff like that. And so uh, those wealthy people are, aren't, aren't going to be the large landowner aristocracy like we saw in Britain, but they're going to be a lot of the business owners and those those rising uh, business owners and, and factory owners that um, are going to make their, their profits off of selling everything. And uh, with this... Um, will come a uh, from both these classes uh, and the factories there's going to be a culture that comes around consumption and you can see that today um, you can see all the ads that we have on TV are about buying things and saying that you need to do it and our economy is based on people buying the products if we all st stopped and said hey we don't need to buy stuff we don't need to have as much debt on our credit cards uh, you would see the US economy take a major hit um, 
So, um, building more, going back to those social classes, though, uh, we kind of set up that little bit of dichotomy there. The the wealthiest people will be in nice mansions, and they'll have kind of the political power, too, because they can pay off the politicians. Uh, so there's a lot of corruption going on with that. Uh, but the lower classes are going to try to fight against this. Uh, they're going to protest the practices, um, but... Uh, their protests are going to be kind of kind of fall on deaf ears politically. There aren't, there isn't going to be a labor party like what we saw in Britain to take it over. Eventually, the Democrats will step into that position, but it will take the Great Depression and FDR to do that, um, which isn't really in the time frame that we're talking about. So no one really steps up for the working classes, and uh, that's because socialism is viewed as very un-American. Those those ideas go against it, and that's why the United States is one of the most capitalistic nations, or you could say the most capitalistic nation in in the world, uh, because there aren't a lot of um, protections, or the government doesn't in, uh, interfere with that kind of stuff as as often as you might see, or as many regulations you might see in a in a European nation. Um, that's not to say that we're not socialist. It's weird to say that America is socialist, but if you're talking about uh, the the kind of strict definition of things, socialism is is the government doing services for the people and protecting it. Um, you going to school is part of socialism. Having some basic healthcare things like Social Security, all those things come later, though. Again, this this stuff comes after the the turn of the century, um, especially the Social Security, Medicare stuff like that to help people out. That's going to be after the Great Depression. So. Uh, we won't see that take place here early. Um, instead, uh, we'll see some unions stand up. Um, they're going to be more divided by the skilled laborers versus the unskilled laborers, and they won't have as much power that way. Um, and we'll also see race be a factor in that, in that uh, African-Americans uh, could not be part of those unions. And um, we will also see, though, that the unions, although they're not as strong as what you might see in Europe, uh, they are able to get some things. And in general, factory owners are not as as maybe big as some curmudgeons in Europe were in that they um, do help the American people get a higher standard, uh, as well as uh, the dollar might go further in, uh, a dollar of American might go further than a dollar in, in Britain uh, at the time because the Americans have a lot more resources. There's a lot more food because of all the agriculture. So people can survive and have a higher standing of living with maybe not making as much as they would need to do in, in Europe. Um, yeah, so uh, one other thing I guess I should bring up that goes with this anti-socialism bit. Um, we talked about kind of the higher wages and it's just un-American and that's partially because it goes back to the American Revolution in that um, in the American Revolution we uh, are fighting against a big government, a government that's very controlling, and so we want to give people those freedoms. Um, so we see kind of major differences there in in the U.S. on that. Um, we also have the time here uh, to talk a little bit about Russia, so I wasn't anticipating talking about Russia here, but uh, we'll talk about Russia a little bit here. Uh, Russia also will adopt it, but if you remember throughout history, Russia is kind of the... Um, uh, is always viewed as backwards by the Europeans because they're always late to adopting new things, and that's going to be the same thing here. Um, they've got an absolute monarchy still. Uh, it's the last one uh, there during the Industrial Revolution. Um, so the, the czars have full control, and they don't want to see a democracy come in, and that's what we see happening with the Industrial Revolution, really pushing more democracy 
or, or democratic institutions in the in Western Europe and in the U.S. Um, but uh, so with that, I mean, not but but with that, the the nobility, the aristocracy has a lot of that control and they control the land. And although serfdom was banned uh, in 1861, it still kind of looks like serfdom is going on there. And uh, by 1890s, when the Industrial Revolution is really starting to take place there with foreign investments uh, to build some railroads, some steel uh, factories, um, uh, mining of coal, getting oil and stuff like that, which Russia has a lot of those resources for, um, it'll just get concentrated in major cities and those former serfs will become workers in those factories and they can't really rise out of it. And you'll also see a middle class rise up um, and they're not going to like the czar. These middle class members are going to be similar to the middle class members we talked about in other areas. They're in the service industries. They're the educated and um, they're not going to like that. They don't have any power and can't get any power in politics because they've got some money. Uh, they think they should have a say. They're educated. They've seen the Enlightenment and all those ideas and uh, they, they want to see that happen. Um, but uh, the the government's not going to let that happen. The czar doesn't want to see that happen. Uh, but eventually, uh, what we're going to see is in 1905, there's going to be a revolt. And uh, the czar Nicholas II will brutally suppress this will brutally suppress the revolt. Uh, but because of how brutal it is, and because he wants to try to maintain power, um, he's going to allow. Uh, unions. He's going to allow a constitution, uh, which is going to create a national assembly known as the Duma uh, to be able to meet. But he really doesn't listen to that, and that's going to lead to parties. So people feel like they can maybe have a little bit of, of say in the government, but really they don't get much. And he kind of rules it with an iron fist. And um, yeah, some more industrialization happens. He tries to protect some of those workers, um, but nothing's really going to change. Those workers are going to still be in bad conditions. There's not going to be much uh, industrialization, or it's not as, as significant as it could be. And so unlike his predecessors, like Peter the Great and Catherine the Great, who in the 16 and 1700s revolutionized Russia's economy and and helped do some of the, lay the foundation for what would be the Industrial Revolution, um, he doesn't do this. And that'll lead to his fall in um, the Russian Revolution of 1917 and after or, or during World War One, after they drop out of World War One, and it will lead to the Soviet Union uh, rising up out of that uh, after the Communist Revolution that will come with that revolution in 1917. And uh, we'll see kind of an end there, but then we'll see it finally really try to industrialize under the Soviet Union. That's more of a talk for the more modern age, but we can see Russia is a little bit different than the U.S. and um, stays kind of backwards in things, doesn't fully industrialize, um, and we see the people not really gaining those rights until you have a, a the 1905 uh, revolution or attempted revolution. So that's uh, kind of Russia in a nutshell. Uh, that's also the U.S. in a nutshell. And the last year we're going to look at is Latin America and seeing how that's different. It's going to be kind of in between uh, Russia and, and the United States here.